In the past few weeks, we've all been spending more time at home. Some of us spending time with our family. Uh, and I've also been seeing a lot of stuff about the new Star Wars projects being released. Of course, the big one is the second season of Mandalorian, which is expected to drop in the fall. But another one I'm really excited about is the new Poe Dameron book that's being released at some point this summer. I'm your host, Fred Kennedy, and this is Issue Zero, a show about the power of fandom and pop culture. And today, we're talking about the writer of that Poe Dameron book, Alex Segura. Uh, He's also the co-president of Archie Comics, has worked with DC for years and written loads of novels that didn't all have to do with Star Wars, actually. But I think I'm really keen for this Poe Dameron book because it's more of an exploration about the gray areas of Star Wars. Poe Dameron used to be a shady spice smuggler and he rose to become a leader in the Resistance. And that's a cool concept. I'm always a fan of redemption arcs. We talked a lot about Alex's crime novels as well and how he made them so unique. And I want to point this out, okay, before anyone emails me about this. When discussing crime novels... I mix up Elmore James, the famed guitar player, with Elmore Leonard, the famed crime novelist. And Alex is such a gentleman, he didn't even call me out on it. I screw up names a lot, though. In my defense, I was one time hosting a panel at Fan Expo here in Toronto, and Neil Adams was on stage. And, of course, Neil Adams is like a god in the comic book world. Like, how many issues has that guy drawn in his day? Um, But (laughs) I was in the middle of reading The Mongoliad by Neil Stevenson. And I had Neil Stevenson on the brain. <laughs> and when I introduced him on stage, I said Neil Stevenson. He was not a fan of that. He was not a fan at all. Regardless, we're excited to have Alex Segura on the show uh, as things are pretty gonzo at the moment for the print world because, you know, comics are beginning to ship again, books are coming back into print, and he's just a very, very busy dude. So very grateful. First of all, though, Alex, how you doing, man? Uh, you know, it's hard on everyone. I think we're just doing the best we can. We're keeping it, staying indoors, following the rules and, uh, you know, trying to be productive. I think it's challenging to be creative during times like this, but, you know, working, doing the day job thing, but also trying to keep the creative stuff going. I think focus was really hard the first month or so. Um, found myself to be a little more scatterbrained than I usually am, but as we adapt to this I hate the term new normal, but as we adapt to the way things are going to be for a little while, I've gotten back to, uh, you know, plugging away on my various projects. You know, that's interesting. You talk about the the strain on being creative and stuff, because being like in uh, a creative and editorial position professionally, like you're really strapped in multiple directions in terms of your creativity, because as an editor, you've got to add a lot of creative input to what people are doing and still keep that critical thinking cap on at the same time. That's got to be doubly exhausting for you right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. Uh, I'd like to look at the positives of it, uh, but it definitely, it de- definitely, especially if when every, I, I liken the pandemic stuff to even the most mundane things are fraught, you know, like taking out the trash, like going to the grocery store, taking a drive, like everything is really elevated uh in terms of how you approach them so things that you would do like mindlessly before like are no longer mindless whereas before you know working at archie is super creative and engaging and allows me to kind of come into contact with really talented people and then that feeds my own creative stuff i think now it's just um we're all kind of dealing with that added weight of all this other 
stuff now being really intense. So I think that's, that's why you're seeing people complain about lack of focus or, you know, uh, just general uh, anxiety is on the rise, but I'm very grateful for the job and, and the opportunity to deal with so many talented people. And that still exists. So I, I still feel like that's, that's a positive. And honestly, it feeds my own stuff. It really energizes me to be creative in my own time. Not that, not that what I do as an editor isn't creative, but it's, it's, it's a different muscle to use. And so I think it, it's all one big melting pot. You know, you brought up something that my wife was talking about on the weekend. She was saying how she used to love going to the grocery store, how gro- grocery shopping for her was like a very relaxing thing to do. She's very right. into it with her multiple price matching apps. It's a good time. It's like a contact sport for her. But now she's right. like, it's it's eerie. It's creepy. It's got like that buzz of a broken fluorescent light vibe everywhere you go in the grocery store. And that's like real life horror. And I've noticed with Archie, there's been a lot of horror amalgamation in the brand. And do you think that people are craving horror right now? Or do you think that's going to kind of die down? Um, I don't know. I'm really hesitant to speak generally about what is going to be, what things are going to be like or what things are like, because we're in kind of a weird transitional period. You know, there's going to be the time before this pandemic and then the time after, and they will not be the same. But I also don't think the time after will be this dystopia. You know, everyone's like, you know, I think people, especially on social media, like to go to the extremes, and that's an understatement. But um, I think people are are find comfort in weird things or different things. You know, the, the benefit of Archie is that we produce things like really classic stories that are timeless and sitcom-y in their comedy and, and very comforting. And I think a lot of people, re- you know, gravitate towards that during difficult times. We've seen a, a big uptick in how people respond to like classic Archie. But I also feel like there's an audience that responds to really scary and frightening and disturbing things in these times. Like, you know, I went through a big like Stephen King binge when my our first kid was born, you know, and which is a really stressful time, you know, being a new parent. And um, I, for whatever reason, I was drawn to these really terrifying stories because it kind of contextualizes your own fear in a weird way. Like it's like, oh, things could be much worse, I guess. So when did you really get into writing on your own? Was this a high school thing? Because you've done so many novels and then the comics things came after. Or am I like completely missing up the timeline here? No, you're not messing up the timeline. I mean, I always wanted to be a writer or a creator in some way. And um, I think my first my first published work was a short story in a DC Halloween special, which was, uh, I think, a five-pager that I drew for, that I wrote, sorry, I didn't draw it. I wrote it for Mike Martz, who was the editor. And I was on staff at DC at the time. So that, that was really great of Mike to kind of take a chance because he knew I was a big fan of writing and wanted, that was where I wanted my career to go. And so that started it. And then I went to Archie and wrote a few things. I wrote um, an issue of Archie and Friends where they go to Comic-Con and they're dressed up as their favorite characters. And that was a lot of fun. And all during this time, I'm working on my first crime novel uh, or was had the idea of the crime novel. And that came out in um, 2013. But that was that was a long gestating project that was, you know, I was just kind of basically learning how to write a novel through trial and error and through reading other novels, which is, I think, the best way to learn. You just read, read, read the genre you want to write in and kind of write the story that doesn't exist yet. Now, were you a big crime fan, like the classic Elmore James crimes novels and all that stuff? 
Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, stuff like Raymond Chandler, Ross McDonald, Patricia Highsmith, people like that. And uh, and more more contemporary writers like Laura Lipman and George Pelicanos and Dennis Lehane, Megan Abbott. Like I could go on. Greg Rucka, you know, Dwayne Straczynski. Like, and, that, and that's kind of what connected me, connected comics and crime for me. Just um, knowing a few comic writers that also wrote crime novels like Greg Rucka and Dwayne. Um, who I knew working at DC and also knew through these crime conventions as a fan, like just going as a fan. Um, and really they were really supportive of me during that time. People like Brad Meltzer, who is a huge comic name, but also kind of built his brand writing these thrillers. So being able to tap into those people and just kind of bounce ideas off them or, or even just have it getting a supportive kind word from them was really helpful early on. Now, aside from just reading, like, novels about crime stories, did you ever do the classic cliche thing that you see in every movie about crime novel writers and go to court and hang out and watch the criminals come in and get their verdicts read out to them? Uh, you know, I've done that a few times. It's not, like, a big <laughs> part of my process. It's uh, I actually was on jury duty a couple years ago here in New York for – an extended amount of time. It was like a month of jury duty. It was not a murder trial, but it was, I got to be the jury foreman. And that was really a nice, not nice. It was kind of it derailed my life, but it was interesting. It was interesting to be part of that process. I was the foreman. So I got to read the verdict. Uh, it was interesting. It was neat. Um, and I do appreciate, I, I have a journalistic background, so I do appreciate like doing research and talking to people for my new book that I'm working on. I have to interview a lot of people that were, you know, in New York in the seventies in a particular industry. So that's been fun. And the benefit is that you don't have to like really directly quote people. You can just kind of get the context and the feel and then you fictionalize it. And it, it, you know, the challenge of fiction is to give the perception of reality, you know, give the sense that this really happened without having to factually support it. So you really just need the vibe and the tone and the texture and um, you don't have to be 1000% factually correct. Now, you're not from New York. You're from from Miami, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, born and raised. So, as someone from Canada, I have a very specific perspective about Florida. How inaccurate is that cliche Florida perspective? You always hear about Florida man, but I've learned that the reason we always hear about Florida man is because the media laws are very different there. And those same types of ridiculous things that happen in Florida are happening everywhere all the time. We just don't hear about them unlike in Florida. And would you say that Florida is the same as everywhere else? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I think Miami is a very different part of Florida. I think everyone uh, tends to clump it all together. And, and Florida is a very diverse and very different, you know, it's a huge state. I mean, it's so long. And then you have the panhandle, which is its own stretch. Um, and Miami is kind of an outlier because it's such an international gateway, you know, to Latin America and to the world. And so it's got a much more diverse feeling to it whereas big chunks of florida especially northern florida feel like the south you know like uh, the U U south southern united states in terms of politics and and uh cultural makeup uh, but the whole florida man thing to me is like an internet meme gone too far you know it's not necessarily the truth um i feel like a lot of people kind of key into that because it makes for a funny story or uh is interesting conversation but there's a lot to be said about miami being really you know, having, you know, corruption, politically corruption, and, you know, just like, just only in Miami, that that vibe, I think, rings true. 
but I feel it's, it's, a lot of it is just kind of a narrative that's been created. You know, a lot of places have weird quirks, but Miami is very unique in, um, in terms of character and, and what happens there, which is why I thought it was a great setting for crime novels. And also because I knew the area and I grew up there and it felt like a lot of people weren't writing about it. And, and that goes back to my point of, you know, when you're writing a book or writing, creating art, I think the challenge is, you know, how can I do it in a way that it's only I can do it? Like, what's the story that only I can tell that fits into this bigger tapestry? Uh, and that's with the Peep books. That was that was it. Like, you know, there's so many P.I. stories set in New York that are really great. So why would I try to compete with that? Like, I can't write a Matt Scudder or Lawrence Block novel. You know, that's for for Larry Block to do. But I can write a P.I. story set in Miami because I know that and I can add to the mythos a little bit. Now you're actually got a a book. Poe Dameron is coming out uh, in July, right? August, yeah. August, August. Now was it supposed to come out in July? Why do I have the month July in my head? It's always been August, but you oh. know everything's up in the air. <laughs> so, at what point were were you like drawn into the Star Wars universe? Were you a Star Wars kid growing up, or were you like a true crime guy? I was both. I mean, I was kind of all over the place. I loved comics. I loved science fiction, like Star Wars, Star Trek. Uh, I loved crime stuff. I mean, I read the Godfather novel at a way too early age and that had a, a big effect on me. And then I ended up reading a lot of true crime books about the mob and gangsters and things like that. And, um, you know, Sherlock Holmes. So it all became this weird melting pot. So, you know, I've always been a sci-fi fan and Star Wars was a big part of that. So getting the chance to do this, you know, I can't really talk too much about it since it's still early days, but you know, getting the chance to tell the story is really a huge responsibility and, and pretty awesome. You know, just, you know, Poe Dameron's probably my favorite character of the new trilogy. And um, this is basically his origin story, which is a huge responsibility and uh, very cool. You know, I was about to ask about that because uh, as we revealed in uh, The Rise of Skywalker, there is sort of a criminal underbelly to this Poe Dameron. And I was thinking, like, are we going to see, like, the streams all get crossed in this one? Well, I think if you watch the movie, The Rise of Skywalker, you left the theater with a few questions about, you know, his time with the Spice Runners, who Zoe Bliss is, um, a lot of things like that. And I can say very safely that a lot of them are answered in this book. Now, the the thing I wonder about Star Wars is, like, are, are you sitting around, the phone call rings, and it's like, hey, I'm Kathleen Kennedy, you get to write a story about Star Wars right now, <laughs> or do you contact them and go, listen, guys, I just watched the movie, and have I got some ideas for you? Uh, I think it's probably different for everybody. I think for me, it was, you know, the, the Pete novels were ending, and... Um, I, I was, you know, I, I keep in contact with Mike Seglane, who oversees publishing at Lucasfilm, and he just kind of mentioned, would you ever consider doing something with Star Wars? And I, of course, said yes. So it was, you know, I, don't, I think everyone's story is very different. So that was just mine. Um, and it, it came together pretty fast. And writing a Poe book, if I had to pick a character to, to write about, Poe would be atop that list because it's, a, it's basically a crime novel in space. Now, Star Wars is one of those like properties that has this profound impact on everybody, and it's very personal. Do you remember the moment when Star Wars became more than just a movie for you? You know, the, the first, the original trilogy came out when I was so young, like obviously late 70s, I wasn't born yet, but early 80s, Empire and, and Return of the Jedi. 
that I just remember a lot of images. I remember having the action figures and it was always kind of around. It was always such a big part of pop culture. So I don't, didn't really ever know a world where there was no Star Wars or where there wasn't this ever present pop culture behemoth. So it's kind of our own modern mythology. So it was always more than a movie for me. It was always kind of this bigger than life thing. When you were writing the Poe Dameron novel, how many iterations of the story did you go through before you got to what it is that we're going to be getting in the story we have? Yeah, I don't want to get too much into the nuts and bolts of it. It was a really cool process. I mean, they were really, I think one of the big lessons that I took away from it was that there were a lot more openings to be creative and to add to the mythos than I thought initially coming in. You know, you come in and you think, you know, they're just going to tell you this is what we want. But there was there was it was so creative and collaborative and really exciting. So I had a really I had a blast doing it. Let's go back to Archie for a bit. Um, Archie, it feels like has had this like second coming over the last five or six years. What was it like being involved in Archie Comics while all that stuff was going on? Because like with Riverdale and with the massive influx of new types of stories being told, that's got to be pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, it all goes back to about 10 years ago when our current CEO and publisher, John Goldwater, stepped into the company. And, you know, he basically said, I don't want Archie to feel like this retro nostalgia brand anymore. I want it to feel like Riverdale is a city that exists today in the world today, and it's diverse and it's alive. And, you know, we can still tell these funny Archie stories, but why does it have to feel like we're in the 50s or stuck in the 80s? You know, it shouldn't feel you know, frozen uh, in time. And that really opened the door to things like Kevin Keller, who was the first gay character in Archie comics. And that paved the way for things like life with Archie, where we jump ahead and see Archie's feature, either married to Betty or Veronica and Kevin Keller's wedding, you know, the, uh, the death of Archie and all these things really reminded people that Archie existed. And, and uh, you know, it's such an iconic brand that that instantly got a lot of attention. Like this, this, this brand that's been around 70 years is now shaking things up and trying to be very modern and different. And then that opened the door to things like Afterlife with Archie, which was Archie in a zombie apocalypse or, you know, Jughead the Hunger or Jughead the Werewolf, like these horror takes that really showed the flexibility of the character. But, you know, it's still Archie and his friends. It's just in a different setting. And that still works. Like fans still accept that and they want that. And then relaunching Archie with Mark Wade and Fiona Staples really brought him into a, a whole different vibe and that the archie you meet in archie number one is very similar to you know the kj appa archie in riverdale and uh you know you have chilling adventures of sabrina which if you read the comic is very true to the show you know the show is very pulls directly from the comic which is written by the showrunner roberto aguirre sacasa so i think recalibrating the brand 10 years ago set the stage for all the media you're seeing now do you get people that are calling you up asking what the continuity is of Riverdale? Because it seems like a Simpsons-esque continuity to me. Oh, uh, no, I don't get people calling me up. I think people have a real passion for it and they kind of get the vibe. You know, it's dark, it's engaging, it's dramatic. And uh, I think people enjoy it. It's just kind of bonkers in the best way possible. I have never seen fandoms on the show floor at a con complaining about Archie the way they complain about everything else. And it just makes me so happy that there's something out there. People just love for loving, you know? Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's Archie doesn't have quote unquote continuity the way Marvel and DC do. Like we don't have to have a crisis to, um, you know, recalibrate our stories. Like it's just a, a really rich 
narrative that's changed and evolved and you know you kind of read what you want to read and enjoy what you want to enjoy and if you don't like something it doesn't have to count in your head you know it's so many things going on at once so one more question before i let you go we're going to cap it at 20 what is the mm-hmm. one thing you're excited to do on both a personal and professional level when the shutdown is over well you know it's it's different not to get to you know when the shutdown i guess for me it means when this when the science is resolved, you know, when we finally have a vaccine and a treatment and these things are, you know, the virus is not out there. I I think I'm excited to, you know, connect with my community, whether it's comics or mystery writing or novel writing and just meet, you know, see friends that I haven't gotten the chance to really connect with beyond like zoom calls or virtual events. I'm a big hugger and handshaker and uh, I want to like see my friends basically. It was great having that guy on the show with us today. Just a nonstop positive dude. We're working on something cool for next week. Um, still trying to get permission to pull it off because it's a bit its a bit of a stretch for us. You'll understand if we get approved for it. But yeah, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to Issue Zero so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps us spread the word and get more people to find out about the podcast. We're also available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen to us at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to all our guests. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at Fearless underscore Fred on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to email me, you can at IssueZero at CuriousCast.ca. The show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, our producer. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnson. Also, thanks to Dylan Moore for being a trooper. All his hard work on this episode. See you next time on Issue Zero.